0: Welcome to First Incision, the podcast about preparing for the General Surgery Fellowship exam. I'm your host, Amanda Nikolic. So today we're going to be talking through some anatomy of the upper limb. I'm doing these episodes because this really is a gap in my knowledge and I'm trying to force myself to cover all of this anatomy. So thanks for keeping me honest Please bear with me. I'm happy for any feedback and happy to go through anything that I don't cover here if you want to send me a message. So let's get started with the upper limb. I found it a little hard to think how I would structure these episodes, but in the exam and the anatomy section, I think they really can ask you just about anything. So I'm just going to talk through some of the different anatomical aspects, starting with the bones of the shoulder girdle, going into the muscles, and we'll see where it takes us from there. So let's start off with the clavicle. The clavicle or collarbone is about a 14 centimeter long bone that connects the arm to the thoracic cage it does this through a connection at the sternoclavicular joint and attaches at its distal end at the acromioclavicular joint it's basically a strut that stops the scapula from rotating anteromedially the scapula is the next bone that attaches the thoracic cage to the arm this is a triangular shaped bone that sits on the posterior surface of the thoracic cage It has a number of anatomical features, including a spine, which does have a lateral projection, which is called the acromion. The main body of the scapula on its superior surface has a little notch, which is the notch for the suprascapular nerve. And from this notch, it continues on laterally to become the coracoid process. And importantly, on its lateral border as well, there is the glenoid which forms part of the ball and socket joint of the shoulder um, and articulates with the humerus to extend down into the arm. So given I've mentioned the humerus, the humerus is the bone of the arm. It has a number of features so obviously the articular surface of the humerus articulates with the glenoid of the scapula this articular surface is considered the head of the humerus and the anatomical neck is the line between the articular surface of the head and the articular margin. This is different from the surgical neck which is where most fractures occur and this is somewhat distal to that and is relevant because the axillary nerve winds around behind the surgical neck of the humerus. The uh, neck of the humerus then goes on to the lesser tuberosity and the greater tuberosity, which have a number of muscular attachments. And between these two tuberosities is the intertubercular or the bicipital groove of the humerus. Extending down from the head, neck and tuberosities of the humerus is the shaft of the humerus. And this is marked by the radial groove. And at the end of the humerus is the medial and lateral epicondyles. And between these are the articular surface of the elbow, which articulates obviously with the elbow joint. Hopefully we don't need to know more than that about the bones. So moving on now to talking about some of the muscles. So the first muscle I'm going to talk about is the pectoralis major muscle. This muscle has quite a wide attachment from the medial aspect of the clavicle um, and the medial chest wall, so including the manubrial head, the um, sternum, the six upper costal cartilages, and the proximal external oblique aponeurosis. This is a large muscle that starts with this wide attachment and then narrows in in a triangular shape um, to form a single tendon, which inserts into the lateral lip, of the bicipital groove of the humerus. This basically flexes and adducts the arm. The nerve to the pectoralis major muscle is both the medial pectoral nerve and the lateral pectoral nerve. These are named medial and lateral due to their origin from the cords of the brachial plexus. So the medial pectoral nerve comes from the medial cord and the lateral pectoral nerve from the lateral cord of the brachial plexus. The lateral pectoral nerve is actually the most medial of the two nerves, just to really confuse you, and this comes anteriorly through the clavipectoral fascia, medial to the pectoralis minor muscle, and pierces the undersurface of the pectoralis major muscle, supplying it. The medial pectoral nerve is lateral just again to be confusing and this actually pierces the pectoralis minor muscle and so does also supply the pectoralis minor muscle it then pierces through pec minor to come into the undersurface of the pec major muscle and to supply it the pec minor muscle underlies the pec major muscle and its origin is from the second third and fourth ribs It's obviously a much smaller muscle than the pec major muscle, but still is a triangular shape. It runs in more of a vertical direction to turn into a short, thick tendon which inserts into the coracoid process. Although it doesn't have amazing functional uh, use. It is a very important clinical anatomical landmark that is used in surgery, um, especially for auxiliary surgery, um, where we use it to determine level one, two, and three lymph nodes, with level one being lateral to, level two nodes being behind, and level three nodes being medial to the pectoralis minor muscle. Um, it also uh, overlies the auxiliary artery and splits the auxiliary artery up into three parts as well. The Nerve supply to the pec minor muscle, as I've mentioned, is by the um, medial pectoral nerve, which traverses the muscle before supplying the overlying pec major muscle. The next muscle to talk about is the serratus anterior muscle. This is a broad muscle with multiple origins all the way along the thoracic cage. Its origin is from the upper eight ribs and the anterior intercostal membranes um, all along the midclavicular line. And it also interdigitates in the lower four of these eight ribs with the origins of the external oblique muscles in those locations. Its insertion is quite broad and basically is the costal surface of the scapula, which explains why loss of function of this muscle allows winging of the scapula because those fibers are usually pulling the scapula back down onto the thoracic cage. The innervation of the serratus anterior is by the long thoracic nerve. And this is a nerve that arises from C5, 6, and C7 from the actual roots of the brachial plexus. This nerve passes um, over the superior border of the serratus anterior muscle and runs down along the muscle, just posterior to the mid-axillary line, where it can be damaged during a axillary lymph node dissection. Um, it's usually found on the surface of the muscle, deep to the fascia, um, but that fascia can be lifted up with retraction, so often you have to sweep it back down onto the muscle. The next one to talk about is the latismus dorsi muscle. This is a very large muscle and it covers quite a lot of the back when you're looking at um, prosected specimens. Um, it commences above at the spine of the T7 vertebrae and takes its origin along all of the spinous processes and supraspinous ligaments of the lumbar and sacral vertebrae, and also um, attaches from the posterior part of the crest of the ilium it then fans from this large inferomedial origin in a supralateral direction and the muscle fibers converge into a single tendon. The muscle fibers spiral around the lower border of teres major. It forms the lower border or or the posterior axillary fold and then this flat tendon inserts into the intertubercular groove of the humerus. The innervation of the latissimus dorsi muscle is via the thoracodorsal nerve, which is a branch from the posterior cord of the brachial plexus, and this comes from C6, C7, and C8. This nerve is at risk during axillary lymph node dissection as it runs on the posterior wall of the axilla on the anteromedial surface of the um, latissimus dorsi muscle. It comes out from behind the axillary vein from that posterior cord of the brachial plexus um, and travels down with the thracodorsal artery and vein as the thracodorsal bundle in the posterior aspect of the axilla. So before moving on to talk a little bit more about the axilla, axillary artery, and of course, the brachial plexus, I just want to briefly mention the rotator cuff muscles. So the first one I'm going to talk about is the subscapularis muscle. And this is a large muscle which takes its origin from the thoracic surface of the scapula. It's quite a large muscle. It's multi-pennant. But then this muscle again converges in a triangular shape into a musculotendinous tendon, which then has an insertion into the lesser tuberosity of the humerus, as well as the medial lip of the intertubercular groove. The nerve supply of this muscle is the upper and lower subscapular nerves, which come from the posterior cord of the brachial plexus, and this is C5 and C6. The next muscle to talk about is the teres major muscle. This is basically similar to subscapularis in that it obtains its origin from the scapula but this comes from the dorsal surface of the scapula or that posterior surface. It runs parallel to the subscapularis muscle so it's just below it and it's inserted in continuity with the subscapularis so it continues down the intertubercular groove and inserts along that groove. The nerve supply is by the lower subscapular nerve which is C5 and C6. The next muscle is the teres minor muscle, and this has its origin from the axillary edge of the scapula um, where it passes upwards and inserts into the greater tuberosity of the humerus. Its nerve supply is from a branch, from the posterior um, branch of the axillary nerve, which is C5 and C6. And if you're looking at this from behind then this sits over the subscapularis muscle so they're sort of at the same level the supraspinatus muscle is a muscle that sits on the superior surface of the scapula it arises from the medial three-fourths of the supraspinous fossa of the scapula which is the area of the scapula above the spine and it inserts with a tendon to the upper part of the greater tuberosity the supraspinatus muscle is supplied by the suprascapular nerve, which comes from C5 and 6 which is from the upper trunk of the brachial plexus. The next one is the infraspinatus muscle, and this muscle arises from the infraspinus fossa, so that's the area below the um, spine of the scapula. This muscle forms a tendon, which is inserted into the greater tuberosity of the humerus again between the supraspinatus tendon, which is above, and the teres minor tendon, which inserts below. This muscle is also supplied by the suprascapular nerve, um, which is from C5, C6, which comes from the upper trunk of the brachial plexus. And remember when I was talking about the scapula, I talked about the suprascapular notch. That's where the suprascapular nerve travels through and it gives off branches to the supraspinatus and then comes around the lateral border of the spine of the scapula to supply branches to the infraspinatus muscle. Basically, the muscles of the rotator cuff help to hold the humerus into the glenoid fossa, which is relatively shallow, and help to stabilize the shoulder joint. So I've already mentioned a few aspects of the brachial plexus. So why don't we spend some time talking through that now? I would love to also plug Robert Whitaker and his book Instant Anatomy. This has gotten me through many a anatomy exam um, and has great summaries of all of the sort of main anatomical things that you need to know. He also has a fantastic podcast, um, Instant Anatomy podcast, where he runs through all different aspects of anatomy, um, including a podcast on the brachial plexus. So if you want to hear some more detail or a proper anatomist going through this, then feel free to have a look at his podcast. So the way he describes it as well, I quite like in that teaching the brachial plexus can be done in two ways. One is starting proximally and moving distally. And the other way is actually starting distally and moving proximally. And I quite like this because we all know what the main nerves in the arm are. So thinking about them as the product of the brachial plexus gives us a little bit of background about you know what's going to be happening in the brachial plexus. So the nerves in the arm that we all know are the musculocutaneous nerve, the median nerve, the ulnar nerve, the radial nerve, and the axillary nerve. And these are all basically terminal branches of the brachial plexus. So keep that in mind as we're moving through this description. So the brachial plexus is formed by the anterior primary rami of C5, C6, C7, C8, and T1. And these uh, anterior primary rami are considered the roots of the brachial plexus. And they are found between the anterior and middle scalenus muscles. These roots then exit between these two muscles to enter into the base of the posterior triangle of the neck, and these become the trunks. So they merge to become the upper, middle, and lower trunks. And the way that these are formed is the upper trunk is formed by C5 and C6, the middle trunk is a continuation of C7, and the lower trunk is the combination of C8 and T1 nerve roots. The trunks of the brachial plexus then go behind the third part of the subclavian artery to be found behind the middle part of the clavicle, which is where the divisions occur. And the divisions are basically that each of the upper, middle and lower trunks divide into an anterior and posterior branch. These branches then combine to form the lateral, medial and posterior cords of the brachial plexus. And these can be found around the axillary artery and their position of medial, lateral and posterior have to do with their relationship to the axillary artery. The pattern by which these anterior and posterior divisions form the medial, lateral and posterior cords is best described first starting with the posterior cord. And this is that all three posterior divisions come together to form the posterior cord. The lateral cord is formed by the anterior division of the upper and middle trunks. And the medial cord is formed by the continuation of the anterior division of the lower trunk, which was C8 and T1. And then from here the lateral, medial and posterior cords will then result in those main nerve branches that I talked about at the start of this section on the brachial plexus. So the lateral cord continues on as the musculocutaneous nerve and it also gives a lateral branch to the median nerve. The medial cord continues on as the ulnar nerve and it gives a medial branch to the median nerve. And then the Posterior cord splits into the radial nerve and the axillary nerve. And that's the basic overall structure of the brachial plexus. Saying that, though, there's a number of other branches which come off at various points along the way. So i will briefly discuss those now. So starting with the roots, so these are the anterior primary rami of C5, 6, 7, 8, and T1. There's three branches that come off the roots – the first is a branch that's just from C5 and this is the dorsal scapular nerve and this supplies the levator scapulae and the rhomboid muscles. There's one branch that comes off C5 C6 and this is the nerve to subclavius. And then there's one nerve that comes off C5 6 7 and this is the long thoracic nerve, which is the nerve that supplies serratus anterior. The next little branch to know about comes from the upper trunk of the brachial plexus. So this is that C5, C6 coming together to form the upper trunk. And the branch here is the suprascapular nerve, which we just discussed when we were talking about the supraspinatus and infraspinatus muscle. So this comes off and travels posteriorly through the suprascapular notch to supply those muscles. The next branches to talk about are from the lateral and medial cord. These are easy because it's the lateral pectoral and the medial pectoral nerves. And we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about the pectoralis major and minor muscles. So the lateral pectoral comes off the lateral cord and the medial pectoral comes off the medial cord. There's another couple of branches that do also come off the medial cord and these are cutaneous branches. So this is the medial cutaneous nerve of the arm and the medial cutaneous nerve of the forearm. And then the last lot of branches to talk about come off the posterior cord. And so this is the upper and lower subscapular nerves, which supply the rotator cuff, so subscapularis and teres major. And then also the thoracodorsal also comes off the posterior cord. And this is that nerve to latissimus dorsi that travels down the posterior aspect of the axilla. There's another couple of nerves to know about. So from the axillary nerve... This travels posteriorly through the quadrangular space to supply the shoulder joint, the deltoid, the regimental patch of skin and also gives off an upper lateral cutaneous nerve of the arm and also supplies some supply to teres minor. It does seem like a lot but definitely go through this podcast and have a look at some pictures of the brachial plexus and it will make more sense. I think this is one of those things I'm definitely going to put on my list to cram before the exam now let's talk a little bit about the arteries to the arm the first is the subclavian artery which on the right comes from the brachiocephalic artery and on the left comes off the aorta the subclavian artery starts at its origin and ends at the lateral border of the first rib at which point it becomes the auxiliary artery the subclavian artery is divided up into three parts, medial, behind, and lateral to the um, scalenus anterior muscle. It has a number of branches. The first part has the vertebral artery, the internal thoracic or internal mammary artery, which terminates as the superior epigastric and musculophrenic, and also the thyrocervical trunk, which gives off the inferior thyroid, inferior laryngeal, and the ascending and superficial cervical arteries. The second part of the subclavian artery has two branches, the suprascapular artery and the dorsal scapular artery. And there's no branches from the third part of the subclavian artery. As I've said, it terminates at the lateral border of the first rib, where it becomes the axillary artery. The axillary artery is also divided up into three parts, medial, behind, and lateral to the pectoralis minor muscle. The axillary artery terminates at the inferior border of the teres major muscle, where it becomes the brachial artery. The first part of the subclavian artery has one branch, the second two branches, and the third three branches, which makes it easy to remember. The first part has a branch called the superior thoracic artery, The second part has two branches, the thoracoacromial trunk and the lateral thoracic artery. The thoracoacromial trunk has four main branches, clavicular branches, humeral, acromial and pectoral, and this artery pierces the clavipectoral fascia before dividing into its branches. The lateral thoracic we've mentioned in other episodes is an important supply to the breast. The third part of the axillary artery has three branches. The subscapular artery, which terminates as the thoracodorsal artery, which we know travels with the thoracodorsal nerve um, to supply the latissimus dorsi down the posterior aspect of the axilla. And the circumflex scapular artery is the other terminal branch of the subscapular artery off the third part of the axillary artery. The other two branches off the axillary are the anterior and posterior circumflex humeral arteries. Continuing on from the axillary artery is the brachial artery, which is the main artery of the arm. The brachial artery terminates in the cubital fossa at about the level of the neck of the radius, where it divides into the radial and the ulnar arteries. The artery initially courses from the medial aspect of the humerus to rotate around and sit anterior to the humerus from about its midpoint. It's crossed anteriorly by the median nerve at about the midpoint of the arm. So the median nerve initially sits lateral to it and then comes to lie medial to it. It has a number of branches, including proximally the profunda brachii artery, which travels with the radial nerve in the radial groove of the humerus, initially passing with the radial nerve um, through the lower triangular space. The profunda brachii gives off a branch um, that is a collateral to the radial vessel down below, so it'll join into the radial artery um, in the forearm. And there's also a ulnar collateral vessel which comes off the brachial artery itself, which will also join the ulnar artery further down in the forearm. The brachial artery itself runs relatively superficially immediately deep to the fascia um, of the arm, just in the intermuscular septum, so sort of between the biceps muscle and the triceps muscle, and that's how it should be exposed surgically with an incision in the groove between the biceps and triceps in through that deep fascia, at which point you'll be able to open up that space where the neurovascular bundle is. The brachial artery runs with the median nerve, which we've mentioned starts lateral and then crosses anteriorly to lie medial to the artery as it goes on its way down. Um, And initially, it is obviously closely related to the ulnar and the um, radial nerves. However, these fall away as the artery traverses through and down the forearm towards the elbow. So let's talk about the anterior and posterior compartment of the arm next. The anterior compartment of the arm is also thought of as the flexor compartment of the arm. The flexor compartment has three main muscles and all three of these muscles are supplied by the musculocutaneous nerve which now we know everything we need to know about the brachial plexus is a continuation of the lateral cord of the brachial plexus. So it has innervation from C5, C6, and C7. The three muscles in the anterior compartment of the arm are the coracobrachialis, the biceps, and the brachialis muscle. The coracobrachialis is the first muscle we'll talk about. This is the most medial of the anterior compartment muscles and is a counterpart to the adductor muscles in the leg. It doesn't do very much uh, because this action is mostly taken over by the um, muscles of the rotator cuff and the shoulder girdle. Um, But this muscle basically arises from the coracoid process where it then traverses into a muscular belly and has an insertion into the medial border of the humerus. The next muscle is the biceps muscle. This has a long and short head. The long head arises from the supraglenoid tubercle just above the shoulder joint and its tendon actually passes through the synovial cavity of the shoulder joint before coming into a muscle belly. The short head arises from the apex of the coracoid process, just lateral to the origin of the coracobrachialis muscle. And this then travels down the arm as a muscle belly, and the two bellies of the short and long head of the biceps muscle don't merge until just above the elbow joint. The insertion of the biceps muscle is by a tendon, which traverses the elbow joint and um, is inserted into the posterior border of the tuberosity of the radius. And there's another thing called the bicipital aponeurosis, which is a flat sheet of connective tissue that traverses medially across the cubital fossa and sort of fans out over the vessels of the cubital fossa. And this inserts into the subcutaneous border at the upper end of the ulnar bone. The last muscle is the brachialis muscle and this is the most lateral of these muscles. It arises from the lower two-thirds of the humerus And it's sort of origin from the inferior aspect of the deltoid insertion. So when you're looking at pictures of this muscle, it seems to arise at the bottom of the deltoid muscle. The insertion of this muscle is by a tendon into the coronoid process and the tuberosity of the ulnar bone. As I've mentioned, all of these muscles are supplied by the musculocutaneous nerve, This nerve, as we know, has its origin from the lateral cord of the brachial plexus, and it can be seen um, just lateral to the artery or the axillary artery in the axilla. It then pierces into the coracobrachialis muscle, which is that medial muscle, and actually travels through the muscle before coming out to lie between the biceps and the brachialis muscle, to which it supplies with numerous branches as it traverses down the arm. The musculocutaneous nerve terminates at the lateral margin of the biceps tendon to become the lateral cutaneous nerve of the forearm. When talking about the arm, it's also important to mention both the median nerve and the ulnar nerve, as these do traverse this anterior compartment. The median nerve travels on the anterior aspect of the brachial artery and travels from lateral to medial, as we've already discussed. It doesn't give off any branches in the arm, but is traveling with these vessels, just anterior to the intermuscular septum. In the cubital fossa, it can be seen sitting just medial to the brachial artery. The ulnar nerve also traverses the anterior compartment of the arm. It initially lies posterior to the vessels and as it traverses down the arm, it starts to move posteriorly and about two-thirds of the way down will pierce the medial intermuscular septum to enter into the posterior compartment of the arm. It then travels around the humerus to end up lying in the groove behind the medial epicondyle of the humerus. And again, this nerve doesn't give off any uh, branches in the arm. (music) And now to talk about the posterior compartment of the arm. The posterior compartment is also considered the extensor compartment, and basically is comprised of the triceps muscle, as well as the radial nerve, which supplies this muscle, and the profunda brachii artery. And as already mentioned, the ulnar nerve also runs through the lower part of this compartment. So the triceps muscle has three heads, named the long lateral and medial heads of the triceps. The long head arises from the infraglenoid tubercle at the upper end of the axillary border of the scapula. So this is sort of the most posterior origin and it's coming off the scapula itself. The lateral head has its origin from the back of the humerus bone itself and the medial head as well arises on the medial side of the radial groove of the humerus. The long head and the lateral head come together and converge into a flattened tendon, which is superficial in the lower part of the muscle and inserts into the upper surface of the olecranon. The medial head doesn't fuse as well with the long and lateral head, but does have its insertion into that flat tendon and also into the olecranon itself. The nerve supply to the triceps muscle is the radial nerve. And the radial nerve, as we've already talked about, heads posteriorly and enters into the posterior compartment of the arm through the triangular space. It does this with the profunda brachii artery, which comes off the brachial artery. It gives off about four branches to the triceps muscle, and these are all given off pretty uh, proximally. So if the radial nerve is injured in the midshaft of the humerus fractures, for example, usually this doesn't affect the triceps muscle function. The radial nerve, although there is a radial groove in the humerus, doesn't actually contact the bone until the lower part of the humerus as it mostly lies on the medial head of the triceps muscle. And last but not least, just a short mention about the venous drainage of the arm. So the veins in the arm include both a deep and superficial venous system. The deep system is basically the brachial veins, of which there are two that lie at either side of the artery. These veins have accompanying perforating veins that run between the deep and superficial veins of the upper limb. The superficial veins of the upper limb are basically the basilic and the cephalic vein. The basilic vein originates from the hand in the dorsal venous network of the hand. It ascends superficial to the investing fascia of the arm in the medial aspect of the arm. The cephalic vein also arises from the dorsal venous network of the hand. It ascends again superficial to the investing fascia in the lateral aspect of the arm. The cephalic vein runs up laterally and passes in the groove between the deltoid muscle and the pec major muscle before piercing the clavipectoral fascia um, quite proximally up in the arm um, to drain into the axillary vein. The basilic vein pierces the deep fascia of the arm quite uh, distally, so about the midpoint of the arm, and it will drain into the brachial veins or into the axillary vein. In the cubital fossa, a well-known superficial vein is the median vein. And this vein gives off both a median basilic and median cephalic branch to drain into both the cephalic and the basilic veins. And these branches that crisscross in the cubital fossa are often utilised for puncture or for venous cannulation. So that's it for this episode on anatomy of the shoulder, brachial plexus, and arm. Once again, remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. It's time to close up. Thanks for listening to First Incision. If you have any comments or feedback, send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at incision Happy studying!